But now we'll get into the second topic of today's episode, which is the situation in Syria. Uh, we have the Russian Air Force operating in Syria, which has been taking down a number of American drones. They haven't been shooting them down. Um, if you remember when that, that Reaper drone that the United States had over the Black Sea, when it got really close to Crimea, and then a Russian jet sort of came by and dropped some uh, some of its fuel onto the drone, and the drone went down. That's what the Russians have been doing here. And they've been downing American drones like crazy. And it's, it, it really says a lot, you know, that we pay tens of millions of dollars for equipment that it gets peed on in mid-flight, and it dies. It, it, it says a lot that that is the status of our military. But I'm not even going to get into that right now. Because uh, I could get into that any other day of the week. And I could go for like an extra 30 minutes just talking about how bad it's become. But what I'm talking about today is the situation in Syria. Because starting with the Russians taking down our drones, working in, tangent, in tandem, I should say, with the Syrian army, you have the Syrian army backed by Iranian militias and as well as Russian troops uh, move, making gains in the countryside. And now they're starting to advance into the, the areas occupied by the United States. They're not going after the bases directly. They're sort of moving around our bases and taking the countryside, the countryside. And while they're doing this, you have Assad making major diplomatic plays with Iran, Arabia, Russia, and the Arab League, where they've been readmitted to the Arab League, where they've, they're making deals with Russia. They're making deals with Arabia, or, or that Arabia, ugh, Arabia has normalized relations with Assad. Iran has always been backing Assad. And even Turkey is trying to uh, make diplomatic overtures to Assad, because they see that the Assad government, the legitimate government of Syria, is winning the civil war. And it's really just coming together for this this confluation of forces that are going to end the war. It's going to end the war, and it's going to end it in a way that is rather definitive. Like, rather than some ambiguous, oh, is the war over, or... We, we still have some fighting here or there, it looks like it's going to be a rather decisive conclusion to this really long war. And it's it's been one hell of a struggle for Assad, I'll give him that. But he's, he's fought on, well, he hasn't fought on the battlefield, but he's led the fight on the battlefield. He's led the fight in the diplomatic front, even when all of his neighbors, minus Iran and Russia, were basically jumping him by backing up every group that wasn't the government, he, through diplomacy, by talking to countries he didn't like, by talking to countries that were actively seeking to overthrow him, you know, real diplomacy, he has won back the support of the Arabians, won, he maintained his alliances with the two most important countries in that partnership, Iran and Russia, that helped him win, that helped feed and keep his army supplied as they were fighting with ISIS, as they were fighting with the Kurds, as they were fighting with all the other rebel groups. And now it, it all comes down to this, where we are in a position where we can see the end in sight, and they are now moving into the territories occupied by American troops. Now, America has responded to all this pressure 
being put on by Syria, and it's 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 offensive. Syria is mounting an offensive diplomatically and militarily. And America has responded to the pressure that that offensive has been putting on our troops by sending more troops to Syria and, and more fighter jets to Syria as well. We have about, uh, officially we have a thousand, so it's probably like 1,500 or more, uh, even though we were supposed to be out. We were supposed to be out, mind you. Trump ordered the withdrawal of these troops. They went behind his back to keep them there. And then you had that House vote back in, I believe, March, to issue a war powers resolution on to withdraw our troops. And two thirds of Congress voted against that measure. So two thirds of Congress voted directly saying to keep the troops in Syria. So it's not some ambiguous, oh, we didn't know about it. Oh, no, no, they're on the record now. Because precisely because the MAGA Republicans forced the vote. They forced the issue, and now we can point fingers when what's about to transpire goes down. Because it's it's looking like we're about to take one hell of an L. Like, you have this, and I say that, I say that because even with the, the additional troops we're sending to Syria, even with these fighter jets, it's beginning to look more and more like a repeat of the way our war in Afghanistan ended. And that is a rapid advance by Syria taking territory in the countryside, they're probably gonna start seizing back control of the border crossings. And then steadily, once they've essentially in, encircled their entire country and all the borders of the country, they're gonna start moving inwards towards where the US troops are, where we're occupying their arable land and their oil. Once they've occupied all the, the countryside surrounding that and the borders, they're gonna start moving inward and that's going to put pressure on our troops. But the big difference here being that while Afghanistan was fighting by itself, uh, Syria is not. Syria is fighting with allies. They're fighting with Russia. They're fighting alongside Iran. And they have gained the diplomatic backing of Saudi Arabia and even of Turkey. Although they, Assad hasn't spoken to Erdogan yet. He doesn't want to, apparently. Understandably... <laughs> me that the turks did try to overthrow them and I, I suppose having to deal with the saudis is one thing but he really didn't want to talk to the turks so he's it as he's making his advances it, they're, they're not alone they have allies and their allies grow by the day they've been readmitted into the arab league so that's one major difference between Syria and Afghanistan. The other difference being that Syria is a relatively flat country compared to the mountainous Afghanistan. Uh, uh, Afghan Afghanistan is infamous for its mountains and its ability to fight in the mountains. Why we thought invading them was a good idea? Uh, ask the money launderers. But that's the second difference. The first difference being that Syria is not alone. They have allies. The second difference being that Syria is flat. They're not a mountainous country like Afghanistan. And the third key difference here is that the U.S. is not preparing a withdrawal like we were with Afghanistan. It, so it's looking like this work. Our troops are going to get encircled by these maneuvers. And then they're essentially going to be put under siege in their bases by the Syrian army, who will have recaptured the countryside. And that's a 
a diplomatic embarrassment. That is a catastrophe from a, a, a PR point of view. It won't, it won't be a real catastrophe unless Americans start getting shot at, which they might. I mean, it's a war zone. They might get shot at because just by proxy to the armed rebel groups that we've been supporting, that the Syrian army is going to be shooting at when they start moving into the territories that we're occupying. But just from an optics point of view, if our soldiers are hemmed into their bases by the Syrian army, what what's that going to say? about our military it doesn't say anything good and of course i imagine that when this happens people are going to draw all the wrong conclusions oh what does this say to our allies oh what does this say to china we need to be more we need to reaffirm our commitment to our allies we need to be really tough on china to let them know that hey we're still going to be you know all the wrong conclusions are going to be drawn from that but it's looking like we're going to be forced into a situation where we have to leave. And all in all, that is a good thing. That is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. That is a good thing. But make no mistake, it's an L. It's looking like the U.S. is about to be faced with back-to-back-to-back-to-back L's. Straight L's. Starting, We're starting the L train with Afghanistan, right? We can go back to Vietnam if you want, but just starting the L train with Afghanistan, then we we thought Ukraine was going to be the next stop, but no, it it could be Syria. It looks like we're pulling into this to Syria first to pick up our next L before the train leaves the station for Ukraine, and either Taiwan or Israel will be the end of the line, with all the the tensions flaring up between Israel and Palestine, and the Arab League now speaking out against Israel where before a lot of them were content to be silent and giving comments and remarks here or there, the sentiment seems to be hardening in favor of Palestine and against Israel within the region. Not, not just on a passive, oh yeah, we, we support the Palestinians and their struggle, but more of a Israel needs to stop type sentiment, which is a major difference. Now, will that difference escalate to the point of an armed intervention against Israel? or say a, a UN intervention, a, a multinational intervention led by the Arab League or the, OI, the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation? Who knows? But it, it's a possibility that we could see the position in our position in Israel overthrown even before the Taiwan war, just as it's possible that we might see, we might take our L in Syria before we take our L in Ukraine which are, are two conflicts that I, I've talked about in the background that I didn't expect to get resolved before the other major ones, Ukraine and Taiwan. And I think the Korean Peninsula might also be gearing up to go as well. I talked about how I, that American soldier in, in last week's episode, we talked about the defection. I talked about how I felt that there there's a strong part of me that feels that this is just a provocation made by our government or that our government was using this as a provocation for war war with north korea and that that flashpoint which i'm i've routinely brought up as a flashpoint because it's there that one could pop up before taiwan or it could pop up at the same time as taiwan or the flashpoint in the koreas might instigate war between us and china over taiwan 
And that's the problem with having all these alliances. It's a half a million trip wires and our government is willingly tripping over the wire to, to start a war. But uh, we can't win the wars. The, the biggest problem isn't even that we're trying to start the war. It's that we can't win them. We can't even, there's no justification for this. We're about to take back to back to back to back L's, Afghanistan, Syria, Ukraine or Israel, take your pick, and then Taiwan and South Korea. Just a string of L's across the board. And it's looking like we're about to pull into the it look it looks like the train, the L train is about to pull into Syria first. So we can take up our, our next L and move on to Ukraine. And Ukraine Ukraine by itself is gonna be one hell of a humiliation. Uh, actually, no, I think about it. All these are going to be humi- all these are going to be these massive humiliations because we were in Syria for how long? Their civil war started in what twenty fourteen, almost ten years of war. Almost ten years of war, just to get an L. Like, you know trash <laughs> do you know how trash you have to be to be involved in a war for 10 years just to take a l like what is this afghanistan 20 years for an l hell we we might wake up one day and find that we've been kicked out of iraq that uh, 21 years 22 years just to take an l ukraine we gave everything we had everything the Europeans had, and then we we begged on wounded knee for the South Koreans to give us some of what they had, and we still lost. Well, that's an L. Oops, we, lo- we lost in Taiwan. We lost uh, how many ships in the Pacific Fleet? Who knows? I don't even want to know the number. I really don't. I don't, the war is unnecessary, but I think we're going to find out soon. Oops, we lost South Korea too. And now there's unification. Oh my goodness. You have any idea how how embarrassing that's going to be for the, the North Koreans to just sit there and flex on after all the shit that we've talked about the Europe about the Europeans, about the North Koreans. Every time you hear any news about North Korea, it's that they are the most backward society on the face of the earth, they treat North Korea worse than they treat Afghanistan. Imagine how, imagine the cope, the the amount of cope they're going to come from watching North Korea do a, a million military parades celebrating the unification of Korea. Oh my goodness, bro. That's going to be one. Uh, look, all these may end up being good things in the end. I think Korean unification is a good thing. Chinese unification is a good thing. I think us getting out of Syria and out of Afghanistan is a good thing. I don't think we should be supporting Israel anyway. Maybe they deserve to get booted for what they're doing to Palestine. I just don't think we need to be involved. But because we are involved in all these places and we're involved on the losing sides in all these places, uh, I guess we could throw Ukraine into that as well, Every time, every time these conflicts get resolved with the other side winning, that's an L. That's a humiliation for us. Uh, 
and an embarrassment for us and embarrassments that will stick. So it, while it's going to be very interesting for me to watch and to commentate on it with you guys, uh, let's sort of take stock of the picture here, which is that we are in fact taking L's and we cannot run away from those L's. We can only, we can only accept them. We can only accept the L. We cannot run from it. But it's crazy. I did not see Syria on deck. I like even though we've been talking about how the war in Syria has been coming to a close this entire time, I was not expecting that the war in Syria would close before Ukraine. I was not expecting that the war would come to a close before Taiwan. I I just wasn't expecting it. Like I knew it was uh, it was coming. We could all see it. Those of us who had our eyes open, and thankfully for me, I have a lot of sources who have their eyes open. But this was fast. The, the history has just been moving really, really quickly. Like uh, the Russia-Africa summit, the, the situation in Syria, and of course, the the coup in Niger, and the riots in Haiti. Like so much is happening, and oh my goodness, next year is an election year too, for a lot of countries in the West. It's it's gonna get wild. It's going to get really wild. History's, if you think history's moving fast now, just wait till next year. Just wait till next year. You have half a million indictments against Trump. You have corruption scandal after corruption scandal with Biden. It, it, and then you have the Europeans who are going to go through another winter. It, a lot of stuff is moving fast. You have the BRICS currency in the wings. It looks like the, it might come online in, say, 2025. That's one of the numbers I've heard, 2025. But history is moving at this breakneck pace. And it's moving in a way that you just I just couldn't predict. But you know what? That's why I like what I do. Always something to talk about. But we'll get into, uh, you know, let, let's get into our next topic. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.